0: Creative Chit Chat. I'm Ryan McLeod and we're on to episode number 39 this week. If you've listened for a few weeks, um, you'll probably have heard me a couple of weeks ago talk about Joanne Clevier Dance, who sponsored the podcast. And this week, we've got the man himself, so Joanne Clevier, who runs a dance company. Um, Yeah, he's put on a couple of productions over the past few years, so notably The North and Plan B for Utopia, uh, which have been at the Rep. They've been at the Edinburgh Festival. uh, We chat about putting on a show at the Edinburgh Festival, um, the sort of financial implications of that and the stresses of it and everything else. And Joanne gives a really sort of honest opinion on, on whether he thinks it's worth it. But what really fascinated me about the chat was diving into his process. I think, to be honest, I was quite nervous going into this chat because. Performative dance is something I know very little about. Um, I'm always quite nervous going to talk to people where I don't really know anything about the profession other than the research that I've done beforehand. And this is one of the most laid-back, flowing chats that I think I've ever had. Um, I think I only did one edit or something like that, just cut a little noise out in the background. And it just went like a dream. Um, I really just genuinely enjoyable chat and it was fascinating to sort of pull the parallels between Shuan's process and how he creates a production and going through sketching and then using post-it notes and all the rest of it to the final product Um, and a lot of parallels and how I suppose a digital design process works and the testing and uh, getting feedback and then into new iterations and, and everything else so so even if you're not particularly interested in performative dance or Dance or theatre, still absolutely fascinating. Um, and I'd, Yeah, I'd highly recommend this. Um, before we dive into this week's episode, though, um, if you're new to the podcast, I know I've, I've been out and about shouting about it in various places. So if you are new, um, there's actually an article on Creative Dundee that'll give you a bit of an overview of the sort of last season. Um, I did sort of 10 things I learned from podcasting. Um, And each thing has got a a sort of recommended episode associated with it. Um, So it's a sort of good overview of the podcast if you're wondering what episodes you should go and listen to um, or what ones you might well be interested in. Um, Each one's also got a blurb, so you can sort of just dig into that, whether you're on SoundCloud or whether you're on the website. Um, Yeah, and if you are new, please give us a follow. So it's at cccdundee on Twitter and on Instagram, and you'll find out when the new episodes go live and... um, any other little teasers or other things that were up to the podcast so yeah so that's it for this week's intro um let's get into it so this is Joanne clavier and this is episode number 39
1: yeah i came to dundee um because of scottish dance theater okay uh, i arrived eight years ago um as a dancer i had never been to scotland not to dundee and uh, i was coming from austria at the time i was working in an opera house in austria in a city called graz and um and i arrived to dundee to join scottish dance theater i auditioned for them in london i must confess i didn't know the company before uh but it was my partner who we were both sort of auditioning and searching for a new destination and um he insisted that we should audition for Scottish Dance Theatre. And uh, funnily enough, I got the job uh, and then decided to move to, to Dundee. And um, it's interesting because when I arrived, I thought, Oof, this is not for me. I, I was coming from, I come originally from Spain and I had been for three years in Austria. Um, and Dundee suddenly felt very rough uh, and, you uh, you know Graz is a very sort of rich city and very pretty, very Austrian in that sense. And um, and I thought, oh no, I'm not going to last in I'm not going to last in here. And uh, and then it turned out that I loved it. I completely completely fell in love with the company, and with the city, which was yeah unexpected. So um, what, what is it about Scottish dance theatre that makes it so good that captivated you? Ooh, uh, many many things. I think it's the artistic integrity. I would say. Um, when I joined at the time, uh, the director was Janet Smith, um, who had been there for a few years already. And then during the time that I was there, uh, she left and then James McGillivray took over for a year, transition year, and then Fleur Darkin arrived. Um, and there's always been um, During those four years, and now Fleur is still uh, the artistic director, there's always been this very strong artistic vision of the company and very strong artistic integrity. And that's, um, that's a treasure, really. And it's not so often that you find that. And that's a strange thing to to say, but I had been already in one, two, three different uh, professional companies before I arrived to Dundee and um, I, I had good uh, good times and and bad times like everywhere. But um, you would work with some choreographers, uh, and then you would sort of enjoy the process. But the overall sort of direction of the company, um, in general, it's it's difficult to find people that uh, that sort of bring a, a coherence to to the artistic vision, and that then also know how to nurture uh, you as a dancer, but also as an artist. And I think that's something that uh, there's a very strong culture and Scottish dance theatre and the rep um, about nurturing people and empowering people. Um, so I learned a lot in those four years. Uh, so what sort of,
0: yeah, coming from Europe and then in, hmm. uh, into, into Dundee, you mean, what What do you feel that you learned in your time and your first sort of few years of being here?
1: Yeah. Um, I learned... I learned a lot about um, the way of a way of approaching performance that was less based on um, maybe how things look like or how I wanted things to be ideally. I think as a dancer, you you get trained to almost um, be be, be, all, be always on the on the defenses or defensive in terms of you always want to look good in a way or something like that. Um, and i think with scottish dance theatre um i was introduced to a way of performing that was much more about being uh, generous and open about my experience as a performer and sharing that with uh, with the audience and that sort of um that can be really powerful um it's a more it's a deeper sort of uh, more generous way of performing that reaches further i think and deeper into into people. So I definitely learned a lot about that. I learned a lot about contributing to a creative process. So um, often, you know, we we, we have these sort of old fashioned ideas sometimes that, you know, choreographers come with their magic books or magic hats and they will uh, tell you exactly what to do and then you learn it from them and then you'll perform it. And, um, and uh, I think Scottish Dance Theatre and and the way I now try and work with my own company is much more, um, it's much more of a dialogue between the choreographer, the creative team uh, even, and the, the dancers. And so there is a much more, a stronger investment of the performers where you contribute uh, with, it, it might be different things, it might be, I don't know, choreographic material, it might be ideas, it might be pieces of music, it might be questions, questioning things. Um, so if you're not sure about something or if um you you invest in it you put you you put yourself much more on the line uh, and it's a much more vulnerable position but much more satisfactory strangely um and then i suppose the last thing um would be this this sort of idea that i think is very embedded here in the in the uk in dance companies and the arts in general which is the idea of connecting uh further to, to audiences and, and to the responsibility to connect to, to communities. Um, again, when I was working in Austria and before in, in companies in Madrid and Valencia in Spain, um, we never did outreach. We never, um, we never taught workshops. We never tried and perform in community centers or reach audiences, even geographically. In Austria, when I was working in the Opera House, we always performed at the Opera House. We never went there. Uh, we never went anywhere else. Um, and that's, uh, that's, a, that's a bit of a pity because it, it, it becomes really insular. And um, and I think in Scotland and in the UK and definitely in Scottish Dance Theatre, there's a really um, uh, embedded sort of tradition of, of reaching out. Actually the company at the Rep Scottish Dance Theatre came out as a, um, started as a community company where where they they were really Royston Muldoon was really trying to connect with uh, people and 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 to um, engage them in the arts and I think that's a really again very powerful very beautiful idea mm.
0: so at what point did you
1: decide I have to have my own company mm. that was um I left Scottish and theater in 2013 and um i was I was very happy there but I felt I had been already working in, that was my fourth professional company, so it was already maybe 10 years of working as a, as a dancer, always in full-time ensembles. And um, I felt I needed to learn different ways of, of working. And uh, I had started um, already since 2006 to, um, to create my own choreographies, and it was always a, a side thing, it was uh, something that I would do um, in choreographic workshops. Scottish Dance Theatre had this um, under construction format, which was a format where dancers from the company and members from the company would uh, create pieces of work and uh, perform them, and then some of them uh, would then be taken on tour and into the main repertoire of the company. So I I was fortunate enough that a couple of my pieces had been uh, toured nationally and internationally through that sort of scheme. And I was um, I was hungry for for developing my practice as a choreographer, but then I I knew that um, I didn't I wasn't really ready straight away to create my own company because I I had never worked as a freelancer, really. So I spent a couple of years working as a freelancer and doing sort of commissions as a choreographer as well. Um, and learning a little bit what was this other way of, of working. So I worked with a company in uh, Brighton called Lost Dog, um, uh, who's directed, which is directed by a choreographer called Ben Duke, who had choreographed for Scottish Dance Theatre. So I had that connection. And then I worked with a collective in London called uh, Doc Kennel Hill Project, and they're more closer to performance art um, and live arts. Um, so I learned a lot from those experiences. and. Um, in 2014, um, I decided to apply for one of uh, Creative Scotland's um, uh, funds. I, it, the fund doesn't exist anymore. I think it was called an artist bursary or, or something like that. It was a uh, an artist development bursary. And um, I didn't get it. Uh, it was a no. Uh, but as, you know, it happens very often that a, a door closes and then another one opens. You know, because I got that no, then I... I said, okay, well, let's find a let's find another way of, of doing this. And I kind of started reaching out to my network. And um, I reached out uh, to Scottish Dance Theatre and I reached out to Janet Smith, who was the previous artistic director, and she's now principal at Northern School of Contemporary Dance in Leeds. So I organized myself a little bit to get some, uh, space, studio space, and I asked two dancers, um, Selene, Selene Weinachter and John Kendall, to join me on some, uh, we call it R&D research and development uh, period. And we had three weeks where we were um, researching some ideas around the idea of utopia and how could we find, and if we could find a, a language, uh, choreographic, theatrical language that could sort of explore those ideas uh, around utopia, around um, uh, basically changing the world, as uh, sort of like naive as that sounds. Uh, Change the world through dance. Uh, Is that possible? Three weeks, go. (laughs) That was what we did. Um, And yeah, through that, we had, um, at the end of those three weeks, we had a little scratch um, performance. We had a, a sharing here at The Rep. We invited people, and we had a almost like a rough version, a sketch of a performance, um, which then uh, became. Then we decided, okay, we've got something in here. Let's apply. Let's try and apply for money. um, So what is
0: what is a sketch performance? Does it Mm. still have a start, a middle, and an end? Does it have a yeah. And it still has that structure; it just doesn't mm-hmm. have the finesse.
1: Yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah. That was the case. That was the case. It it's something that we do quite a lot in performing arts and in dance. Uh, often you call them sharings. You have a sharing of of the work in progress, and that may come at different stages of the creative process. So it might be that it's you know at the very beginning, and you basically have nuggets of things, and so it doesn't have a beginning and a middle and an end yet. It just ideas, like little mushrooms, a collection of things, um, or it might be that you already have something. And we sort of, we, we had something and we decided, okay, what do we do? Do we just show the, the good bits, the bits that are a bit more finished and polished, or do we show everything? And we decided, no, let's just show everything and get a sense of, does this make sense as a whole? And that was much more useful. Mm. Obviously, you need to get the right people in the room, people that understand that what they're seeing is a sketch and that it's rough, um, people that are supportive in their feedback and in their criticism, uh, or, um, but it's incredibly useful, actually. So how, how do you collect that, that feedback? Um, there is um, uh, this sort of um, process uh, um, that uh, you can do it in, in many ways, but I like following this... Um, this system that there is this writer called Liz Lerman um, and she's uh, uh, designed this sort of um, I think it's called critical response but I'm not sure now Um, and she sort of devised this um, structure where people start by saying uh, what they see, they are statements that are uh, very objective so rather than going, oh I really like that bit uh, they'll say things that they saw I saw conflict I saw tenderness I saw Uh, speed, ISO, you know, it could be many different things. And that gives you, as a maker, it gives you an idea of what is actually being perceived, what what is reaching out there. Um, Then I I think the next stage, um, there is a time for questions. So there is a a time for the audience to ask you questions, to clarify things, and then a time for you to ask them questions. And then the very uh, last stage of the process is... um, it's more statements of uh yeah of of value where where people might say, I particularly like this all right but but you've you've kind of um built up to that, and then I think you can also tailor it to your needs if you're ready to hear that um then you do then if you're not you're not mm-hmm. but i think it's a very yeah this sort of dialogue is very is very very useful mm-hmm. very enriching so
0: how does that then? feedback into the process how do you take that feedback and then use it to, to improve
1: the performance yeah you well i suppose what you need is is the time and the space to do that so for us that was the end of uh, of our research process so we dance has this kind of like um funny thing that uh, it's always very dependent on on a space that's the always the big issue you need a space a room and ideally, the room—it's it, often it, it can't be any room. It it needs to be big enough. It needs to be warm, and it needs to have a decent floor. Um, and uh, and that's difficult to get. Uh, that's not easy. That's not easy to get. So, um, I suppose you need, you know, you need to. In our case, we then needed to apply uh, for more funding in order to get the resources to to continue our, that, that development. Um, but then I suppose, yeah, you you kind of take all of those thoughts with you, you process them. I love having time between uh, my creative sort of chunks in the studio, time in the studio, time to reflect, um, to sort of look at the video, we try and document everything with video and then you kind of relook at the video, what you've done in light of what people have said and then uh, yeah, and then you get back into the studio, hopefully with a clearer idea um, of things that you want to change, things that you want to drop completely, that you want to edit, or new ideas that you want to to explore, and and it just sort of creates more and more layers. the 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 work starts having all of these uh, layers of history as it develops, and things keep on falling, being added, uh, expanded. Um, etc
0: is that is that quite an easy process
1: or do you find that mm. you sort of butt heads and argue over things mm. and um at its best it's very it's fun it's um i think there is something about uh having w- when you're when you manage to be relaxed and uh, and have fun with what you're doing it's always the best um however it's not always like that for sure i mean there are there are literally sleepless nights yes for sure there are moments of uh where you can't um see i, I find that often when i'm trying to m- make sense of the different uh sort of elements that we have and trying to make this middle beginning you know beginning middle and end, making this structure and um you, you know i i often work with um uh, post-its, you know, I've got all of these different, uh, post-it ideas and, uh, of things that we've done in the studio. And, uh, it's great cause you can, you know, you can shuffle them, you can take them out of the frame, into the frame, put them in different orders. Um, but yeah, until there is a moment, there is a sort of a critical moment where, uh, before everything sort of starts coming together and you find what's the, what's the threat. I often, I often think of, a uh, the way I work, I I, I work with these different elements. So it's almost yeah, like mushrooms, sort of things that are uh, growing. And then it's almost like one of these uh, drawings where you have to join the dots and then this drawing, this this shape appears. It's a little bit this a similar thing. You just have to kind of figure out which are the right dots to mm-hmm. to join in which order and that, yeah, that can be a bit painful sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I suppose you would make, you make your
0: life easier by surrounding yourself with good people. For sure. Um, so, I mean, what is it that you look for when you're creating a, a team to put
1: on a, a production? Yeah. Yeah, because I work really uh, through a devising process. Um, it's really critical to have the right people around me. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll often work with people that I know already, that I have a relationship with, so also the works that I create tend to be small scale with two, three people with my own company. And therefore, um, it's a very intense, very intimate relationship for, uh, you know, for, I don't know, it takes us probably about a year and a half, two years to make a piece. So um, I need people to be really open to go on a journey with me. People that are comfortable with uh, uncertainty and that are comfortable to um, uh, to be creative in a in a really generous way. So I I don't come up at the beginning of the process with a master plan. I don't have a master plan. I don't know what the piece is going to be. I don't know what the relationship with the audience is going to be. I don't know. I, I know. I know very little about it, although I've, I've probably, I, I come very prepared, I've done a, a lot of research before it, but I still don't know. It's something that it's really hands-on and you find out by doing it, it's experiential. So you need people that are willing to go on that ride. It's a bit of a ride of a roller coaster. Um, I look for uh, generosity. You know, people that want to invest in the process that will not just sit back and wait for me to come up with a solution. Um, that will propose things and um, funnily enough also that will challenge me that will not always say yes often when I've worked in a other context with maybe young students uh, you realize they often they often try and be good dancers you know and be and please be very pleasing and and please you by saying yes and that's not so useful actually Um, it's really useful to have someone who will say yes what about that or um, or that will subvert the rule that you've created or um, and that they'll know when to do that as well of course mm. you know someone who's just obstructive um, is not helpful either yeah I think that's I've also found
0: that in my practice working with a range of, of different people is that you have to find that balance you have to know when to question and when to accept yeah. and it's yeah. just what's the phrase that people
1: use um, lose the battle to win the war yes totally yeah. totally and uh and it's beautiful when you see that happening when people really yeah invest come up with uh, ideas come up with movies come up with uh, pieces of music come up with questions and then yeah also when they'll just get on with it because they know okay now it's just we need to okay i don't understand what you're saying but i'll i'll give it a fair shot mm. and that's really beautiful yeah. to see um I suppose because of what I do, I work in, if I was going to put it inside a box, it would be the box of dance theater. Um, Therefore, I work with people that are very versatile as performers and that are happy to um, be uh, working across, you know, very different territories, you know, dance, definitely uh, being very physical, exploring things physically. But also, you know, I demand from them that they work with their voice. That they, um, that they are bring, bring in acting skills, that they're open. I would say that, that they're open for play. Play is a very important part of my process, I would say. Mm-hmm. And um, and so finding people that are, you know, not too rigid about what a, being a dancer might mean, but mm-hmm. uh, that are very open and generous, uh, that's, yeah, that's very important to me.
0: So you, you take this production through a, a, a quite a lengthy process yeah and then you get to a point at which you're you're happy um and then you start to put it in front of people mm. and then sort of plan b for utopia you you guys took it on tour yeah and um, with over 50 50 shows yes um what i'm interested in is that aspect of touring and because your work obviously has a, a sort of element of improvisation as yes. well so how does a piece change over the the sort of period of a of a, a tour
1: yeah, I mean, with Plan B for Utopia, it's been amazing. It's been two years of touring the the performance, and you know, going back to this idea of uh, layers of strata of uh, of information, it just sort of keeps the the archive keeps being getting bigger and bigger. Um, so, if you were if you were to take a video from the preview and and watch a performance now, I would say, you know, ninety five percent, ninety nine, yeah. A lot of it is exactly the same, yet if you would watch the show, it's completely different. It's very, very different, um, and that's—it's difficult to explain. It's—it's it's almost a—it's nuances, it's uh, small details, it's things that you get to understand better. You understand, oh, why are we doing this? Or, or, or you—you you spot sort of like little things that don't make complete sense. Like you know, if I did. This in the previous scene, what you know it doesn't make sense. That now we do we do that, um, and it's in it's on all levels. I think it's on a purely technical, choreographic level. You know about how you execute the steps to understanding the dramaturgy of the piece better, working on the transitions. I would say with uh, Plan B for Utopia, it's been mostly the transitions. Um, again, that journey of how you get from A to B, from one point to the other one. That I got to understand better and better and better, because I, wa- you know, we've done it. We've performed it over fifty times. That means I've watched it over, I don't know, two hundred times. So you're there so. every night, yeah, sitting there, watching it again. Yeah. Um, and therefore, that's also why, and for the performers from the inside, it's the same thing. They're, they've done it so many times, and therefore, we need to find strategies to keep the work really fresh and in the moment, because as soon as um, it becomes fixed and we try and do the thing that we did in that performance that was so good, it really doesn't work. Uh, because there is an element that is different in every single performance, uh, which is the audience and the space that we're playing in. And um, that really has a very strong impact on on the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, you know, again, from... It's an energetical thing, but also a technical thing, like in terms of, you know, how... How high your focus is when you're addressing the audience, how much, how loud you need to be or not, um, and about the dancers really uh, listening very much to what's happening in the room. So, although the, that piece is a duet, uh, we always talk about it as a trio because the third, the third element is really the audience and what they're giving back um, to the dancers is really informing what's actually happening on stage.
0: Mm-hmm because i mean when i go through projects there's a sort of there's an arc in it and you, you at the start for me there's an excitement there's a, you get started you're throwing mm. ideas about you're then actually refining that and getting to and then there's a dip because you've mm. gone to the point where you're then just doing the sort of the number crunching or getting all the, yeah. the content and yeah. all that and there's a, there's a definite dip and then and then you get it launched so then there's a little up swing but it's never as high as that first thing beginning. at the start. So I'm interested to find out what's what the arc of your projects are like and how that feels across the entire experience and
1: where are the highs and where are the lows. Yeah, I, it definitely feels like at, at the beginning there is this... We always say uh, there is this... In the first weeks we're just playing around, you know, we're just playing around, anything is possible. We're just, you know, everything is very... Everything is open, it's full of possibilities. And then, yeah, there comes this sort of like... Uh, when you first start sharing it, then you start, you need to start making decisions. And, uh, and, um, you know, we, we often work towards different sort of deadlines of sharing during the work in progress. And, you know, it's towards each one of them, you, you know, it it definitely, it, it goes up. The excitement goes up, the pressure goes up. Um, and that happens like several times until you have, you know, the big sort of, uh, premiere moment which is you know it is very very exciting. Um, I must say I do love the period after where you kind of sit back and get to now sort of learn about the project and I think that's something very beautiful because we're not producing an object, we're not producing something that once it's sort of finished you sort of disengage from it. It's, It's live performance so Therefore, you, every time that we have a performance, we, we need to be there. We need to rehearse again. We need to prepare ourselves again. We go on tour, so you stay you stay with it. And um, for instance, with the North, the piece that we've just premiered, we premiered it in May, and yeah, it was a big it was a big push to get it, uh, you know, to get it out there. And uh, we premiered at Tramway, which is a bit of an iconic venue as part of Dance International Glasgow, and there is all these sort of like. Uh, yeah, big ex- excitement around it and big buzz around it. Um, and then we did, we did, uh, we left it. And then we did some performances at the fringe, and we had nine shows in a row. And I really enjoyed that because it was, you know, that sort of uh, big stress and tension from the from the premiere is gone, and you can now sort of like sit back and look at it. And then you you start seeing more things, and you start. It's almost like the work starts talking back to you. And then you're much more able to uh, edit, make decisions, you know. So, for instance, at the premiere we had a piece that was 67 minutes and by the end of the Fringe it was 60, you know. That's quite a lot. Seven minutes gone, you know. Seven minutes of, you know, faffing around. Seven minutes of not uh, of things that were not uh, quite crisp uh, enough or that were not quite clear enough. So you want the, the piece to... Yeah, to almost condensate, to to distill basically, and um, and that's a beautiful process. And and of course, yeah, the curve is, is sort of like it's less of a peak; it's more of a long uh, long curve in there. But it's it's very beautiful. And then if you if if you have the luck like with Plan B for Utopia that that curve just suddenly is really really extended, and you've got two years of touring, you know, there there is a point that comes a deep for sure, and you're like, okay, oh, watch this again, like really. <laughs> yeah. um, But, uh, you know, then then comes this other, you know, this you have to bring in these other skills about, Okay, how do we refresh this? How do we keep it alive and in the moment and relevant? Um, And that, you know, again, involves not being too stiff and certain about how things are, but being more flexible and, and, you know, allowing room for new things to happen, um, allowing room for play.
0: So um, you mentioned The Fringe and mm-hmm. um, you've just finished your second run with your, your new production at yeah. The Fringe. How How is that experience of of putting something on? Because, I mean, you hear sort of mixed reports. I mean, it's great going around and having the fun of mm-hmm. exploring and going seeing shows, but how is it actually putting on a production?
1: Mad. It's pretty mad. Um, and amazing at the same time. Um... Yes, I can understand why it's mixed. It's a mixed bag. It's a beast. Uh, The Fringe is a a big beast, Uh, beautiful, but but it can be tough. Um, It can be a bit cutthroat. So I would always recommend when I have artists, fellow artists approaching me and saying, oh, we're thinking about the Fringe. I always say, you know, first go and check it out, you know, be around, watch performances, watch venues with your you know with your creative hat on with your hat of artistic director or choreographer or theater director or singer or um start looking at the venues start looking at uh, how you know how people do present their shows like the marketing all, all of those things um you know because it's it's quite a it, yeah it's a big beast there is a huge crowds and so to be able not to to sort of drown it's 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 difficult and Um, I think we've been very lucky that uh, both with Plan B for Utopia and the North, we were uh, presenting the pieces at Dance Base, which is the National Center for Dance in Edinburgh. And um, I would say that's sort of the best venue for dance in terms of they, they know what a dance production needs. They invest in the production and they program in a in a sustainable way, of course, within the constraints of the fringe, which are tight, but you still have a studio warm-up, which for dancers is really important. You have sort of like decent turnarounds, uh, times between slots of performance. Um, they, as a Scottish-based artist, they give me a quite a, an okay deal uh, in terms of fee and payments and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but that's almost an exception really um there is a lot of uh it can be very very expensive. i think we we sort of calculated that for us to take the a week at the fringe sort of comes around about easily ten thousand pounds twelve thousand pounds of investment so in our case, we definitely need subsidy in able to do uh, in order to do that so if you're thinking of doing it without a subsidy and risking your own money um you know, you have to be cautious. You just have to be cautious and realistic. Uh, be realistic also about um, what your goals are, are, what you want to achieve. Um, if you, if it's okay to lose, you know, a couple of grand, but you want to get your work out there and you want to uh, get promoters to see it or audiences to see it, um, it's, it's 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 it can be worth it. But you need to be sort of ready and realistic uh, about it because otherwise yeah you can suddenly get caught into a situation where it's where it's not fun where you're in a venue that you know you've got five minutes literally five minutes to you know get in do the show five minutes literally five minutes to get out where there is no support for marketing where there is you know where they'll charge you to hang a light an extra light and <laughs> and those things are they're they're nasty they're, they can be nasty um and so, yeah, you have to be cautious. Do think.
0: you think you will continue to put on work at the Fringe? Yes. So yes. It it's... hasn't discouraged you too much. No,
1: no, no. Because I've I've had very positive experiences. We've pre- we've presented work at Dance Base and Pleasant's Courtyard, and it was a uh, it was a lot of fun. And we we had a lot of um, presenters uh, coming in, seeing the work and uh, work. Uh, new performances were booked out of that experience um so it was worth it but again i i was fortunate enough to go in with a team uh with a producer with a marketing with a technical manager um who had previous experience of what the fringe is and who were able to reach um get the people in um and again that's something that you have to be cautious and realistic if you're doing you know it's great to be self-organized and DIY. I love that. Um, You just need to be realistic about what can you achieve. And maybe, you know, there is the free fringe, which is amazing. You know, you get to see shows for free and then the audience pays whatever they think that show uh, was worth and and where there is much less risk from the performer's point of view and the company's point of view. So it's just finding what's the right context Mm -hmm. for you to present the, the work.
0: So to move on to talk a little bit about the latest production, so about the North, mm-hmm. um, I've not personally I've not seen it. Yeah. I have seen the, the sort of trailers online and some of the photography. And what really struck me was the sort of aesthetic and the the mm-hmm. visual aspects to it, and the the elements that are on stage. Um, and like the I mean, it looks like a sort of polystyrene little sort of shapes, yeah, really angular geometric. Yeah. Which sort of evolve and change and flow as the as the performance develops. Yeah. Um, which are amazing. So I, I kinda want to dive into that a little bit about how the the aesthetic came together for, for this latest production?
1: Yeah, we worked um, with a, a team of designers, uh, Emma Jones, who's a lighting designer based here in Dundee. She works with Scottish Dance Theatre. And Matthias, Matthias Stram, he's a set and costume designer based here in Dundee. He's He comes from Switzerland. And um, I have worked constantly uh, with them for the last, I don't know, five, six years. And so we've got a. An ongoing relationship, which is really, really helpful. Um, and I think because we were uh, working with the idea of the north, um, the north as an idea, you know, it, it very much relates to the idea of landscape and space. I come from Barcelona, so for me, the the northern landscape here in Scotland is something, it's something very striking for me. This idea of a big, big open spaces, barren spaces the light uh, in, you know, the, the sunsets and the Tei, oh my God, you know, like uh, it's, it's incredible. Like so many times I'm cycling or I'm walking and I have to stop and go like, oh my God, take this in, John because it's absolutely stunning. And to find a way, it was a very interesting process to try and find a way to render that into a theatrical language. How do I put that sunset on the Tei into a dark, Room, which is a theatre, essentially a theatre is a you know a black box. Um, how do we how do we reproduce that? Um, and so you can't. That's what we found out. Um, we we quickly realized that when we were trying to sort of reproduce that, you know, it would fall flat. It, it's, it's it's impossible, especially with our resources as a company. You know, we're an independent company we're a touring company, we need to be flexible. You know, I can't, first I had these sort of images of a forest on stage, you know, and people dancing in between the trees and uh, lots of fog and all of that. And, but then of course, you know, how the hell do I build a forest in, in a tree, in a, in, a, in, a, in a stage, you know, full of trees? How do we then then take into, uh, how do we take that into a community hall in the highlands? You know, it's very, very difficult. And it also looks dead. It didn't. It didn't resonate at all. So then we started actually sort of taking the elements and distilling them, trying to not hide the trick uh, in a way. So you've got these sort of ways of, uh, you know, these theater tricks. And 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 I, in our aesthetic, I think we enjoy sort of not not hiding them but making them really really obvious so what we ended up with is a very bare stage it's very uh it's gray floor and a gray background and with just one little uh christmas tree really it's a christmas tree um on stage and um and that really highlights this sense of space um this sense of uh, as soon as you put one person in there, you know, it, it, they just feel lost in a really big, big space, much more than if the space was filled with uh, lots of trees. And um, and then we kept playing with uh, with uh, yeah, this idea of um, of being, uh, you know, being very uh, explicit about the tricks we were using. So at some point, we were thinking, well, I mean, it's a piece about the north; it needs to have snow, and I would love to. You know, it wouldn't. It be great that it would snow for sixty minutes. You know, but of course that again, how do you do that? So then in the end up we we ended up using this yeah this uh, uh, material which is recycled material that you use to uh, protect things when you send them. Yes, this uh, I'm not sure if they're polystyrene or, uh, but yeah, they are these spongy sort of triangles. and uh, when you just you know when you literally take a bag and start pouring them on stage they just have this amazing wonderful effect um and um and that's sort of the process that that we that we kept on on using throughout the piece um we we also worked a lot with uh yeah with lights because light had to be very prominent and then we decided okay well let's just use fluorescent lights um so we use this fluorescent lights that change color and they're on stage you see them you see the w- what's happening but they create the most amazing combinations of colors which of course reminds you of northern lights and of uh, all of these beautiful uh, amazing uh uh sunsets and dramatic sort of uh light that you that you get in in the north
0: so i think well dance-based performance and theater um i'm trying to think about it as a as attracting an audience um, mm. and i think there. In my mind, there's, there's probably a lot of stigma attached to it, and people unsure of what they'll come to see or whether it will be too highbrow or... So I, I want to get your opinion on how, how you would encourage people to come and, and see your work um, if they do have these sort of preconceived
1: notions. Yeah, I completely understand and I mean, contemporary dance, I mean, it sounds just, the name sounds awful. I mean, it's just so uh, intimidating. Um, A lot of people, yeah, have concerns about they're going to go there and not understand anything, be bored. Um, And I always say it's a bit like cinema. I mean, when you go and see a, a, a movie from, I don't know, Woody Allen, or when you go and see a movie by Quentin Tarantino or by the Coen Brothers or a blockbuster, they're just very different things. Uh, but you know, you might not like Quentin Tarantino, but you might love Ken Loach, and it's a little bit the same with contemporary dance and with dance in general. Um, it's very personal and very uh, relative to the choreographer, uh, artistic director. So there is a huge, broad spectrum from really formal stuff which is, you know, about um, about the dynamics, about the movement, you know, uh, about the music, about the beauty of it, if you want, um, to stuff that is completely experimental, that it's rough, that it's um, full of, uh, you know, I don't know, risk, uh, or stuff that it's full of ideas, and there is hardly any movement, and it's much closer to life performance or performance arts. Um, what I do um, is a mixture of uh, dance and theater. So there is always a narrative arc. There is always a story. And um, it's, and therefore it tends to be, people tend to find it very engaging um, because they can hold on to a journey of characters. And um, if I've done my work properly, we are shifting gears between talking, not talking, dance, abstraction, Narrative, and you're not really realizing that you're uh, shifting those gears. That's, I would say, the the where my skill uh, or my virtuosity and the virtuosity of the dancers are, is that at one moment they're talking to you, at one moment they are uh, just using their bodies, and you still engaging, you know, and you, and you haven't felt any bump in between or any cut in between. Um, yeah, and then it, I personally also enjoy very much engaging with ideas. There is always a lot of research around a subject, but then I also enjoy very much humor, and um, there is always humor in, in in the work. I think it it brings a, a a shared humanity to the to the experience, and a and a bit more of a, an ambigu- ambiguity and irony around the subjects that we treat. And I find that very exciting and refreshing.
0: Mm. So. I want to find out a bit about where you get your inspiration hmm. um yeah what you the sort of the things that you you read or you watch hmm. or you go and see yourself hmm. what what sort of things do you like to sort of enjoy and consume on your own time
1: yeah, a combination of all of those uh I studied humanities uh originally in Barcelona, so I read a lot, so a lot comes from reading. I love cinema, so I love I love going to the cinema and to the theater. Um, I started before I, I only started dancing when I was sixteen. Before that, I did amateur dramatics, and I've always had this really um, strong connection with theater. And um, so all of those things definitely inform uh, inform me and my practice, and then also what I yeah what I what I do. Um, but then also I I think also you know. Anything uh, you know? Political context, um, the landscape, uh, human experiences that you have—you know, just your, you know, your life, your broken heart, or your, uh, or your sense of friendship, or your sense of confusion and being lost with the north. I think there is a lot about the north, as much as it is about the landscape. It is also about being comfortable with uncertainty and uh, and not knowing, because I think. The beauty about the northern environment is that it's so strong, you know, that you you are you always constantly have to to adapt. You can't impose yourself to to a storm, uh, you know, when uh, yeah, when it's raining horizontal in Dundee and you're struggling with your bike, you can't impose yourself to the environment. And uh, and there is this certain instability, instability, and being comfortable, learning to be comfortable with that. For me, it's. It's been a whole uh, journey that then you can, of course, expand, you know, into all sorts of metaphysical way. Uh, um, um, You know, you can talk about your place in the universe where you don't know why you're here and where you're going. And it's completely you're surrounded by the unknown. So um, it's really it's really everything. Uh, I think I'm always sort of feeding from any experience really into the work.
0: So where where do you go next what's what lies in the future
1: for you um we are touring the north uh, this autumn uh, around scotland and the uk and then in 2018 we are sort of um, we've we've been we've had this sort of like very uh, exciting sort of two years where we've created a lot you know if if i think if i look back i only started you know my company um since 2015 and you know this is the end of 2017 we've got two full-length shows out there um so i think 2018 is going to be a consolidation year where we i think those two pieces still have a life and people still want to see them so hopefully we'll get them on the road again and that also gives me room to replenish to um go out travel do different things work in different contexts do more commission work. I'm going to Austria to work in a play for young audiences. So I'll be more of a movement director there. Um, And sort of just uh, um, starting to plant seeds for new projects, maybe. Um, We've got this idea of uh, something around uh, the world of Antigone, the Greek uh, tragedy, something around maybe uh, a bigger group piece. So there are different ideas that are now sort of like just in the back burner. And I think I just need to let them sit there for a little while and then we'll see what happens. Great.
0: Um, so if, if people want to find out about your work
1: um, or get in touch with you, how would they do that? Um, we've got a website, uh, which is uh, com, And uh, of course, we're also on Facebook and Instagram. And that's, again, Dance and on Twitter. We are Jay Clivier Dance. Brilliant. Thank you very much. You're welcome.
0: So that was Joan. Um, hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed uh, chatting to him. A big thanks to him for coming on. Um, and please do go and check out um, some of his work. Uh, Vimeo is probably a good place to do it because they've got lots of little promos and snippets from the performances as well as some sort of chat about the performances and chats to camera and things like that. So if you are interested, yeah, head over to that. Uh, Link is in the show notes. And that's it for this week. Um, All that has to be said is please do follow us on Instagram, and on Twitter, which is at CCC Dundee, or if you prefer, on Facebook, join the group, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. Uh, the only thing left to do this week is to recommend another podcast. Um, this week, I'm going to go for a comedy one, and it's a pretty big, well known one, but it's fantastic. Um, it's the Adam Buxton podcast who is a comedian. Um, some of you might know him from the Adam and Joe show, which was sort of back in the 90s, I think. And he he's hilarious. Um, it's one of these ones where he's just getting on celebrities left, right and centre. Loads of people that you have heard of. Um, a couple of highlights. In particular, I'd say Louis Theroux. He's had a couple of chats with him. Um, I mean Richard Iowadi as well is fantastic um, and basically it's an hour long show and he just chats to people about what they do and it's generally hilarious the one thing I would say about this podcast it has the best jingles bar none Adam makes them all himself and they're fantastic especially the, the outro is so catchy Yeah, so 100% well worth a listen. Go and check that out. That's the Adam Buxton podcast. Yeah, so this really is it for this week. And I'll catch you next Wednesday. Bye.